Before we start the show, we just wanted to let you know that we have some new pieces of merch that we wanted to introduce. We have a new t-shirt. It's the Paul Revere shirt. Paul Revere on horseback saying, He gave him the knife. <laughs> it was previously only available at our live dates, but now it's available at thewestwingweekly.com slash merch. You're going to want that shirt. It was drawn by Jess Gupta, my friend who told the original story about he gave him the knife. The person who said he gave him the knife originally on our podcast. So it all comes full circle. What else? Well, in honor of finally reaching the episode 25 on our podcast, we're also very happy to introduce our very first pieces of merch for babies. Yes. Babies come with hats, Toby tells us, and therefore we decided to make some baby hats. You can finally have a baby hat. It's a nice gender neutral white hat that says what's next on it. And in addition to the baby hat, we've also got West Wing Weekly onesies and kids' tees. The onesies and the kids' tees answer President Bartlett's question, what's next? They say, I'm what's next. That's right. You can get all of this stuff at thewestwingweekly.com slash merch. We're really excited for you to see it. And there's just a two-week window here, folks. So jump on that new merch right away. Go to thewestwingweekly.com slash merch. And now... On to our episode. The West Wing Weekly is sponsored by ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Well, every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than just posting your job online and praying for the right people to see it. So if you're hiring, check out ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter revolutionized hiring. Their technology finds great candidates for you. It learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. ZipRecruiter will blow your mind. And right now... It'll blow your mind for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash West Wing. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash West Wing. Check it out. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Live from the Castro Theater in San Francisco, you're listening to the West Wing Weekly. I'm Rishi K. Shearway. And I'm Joshua Molina. And today we're talking about the season finale of season three. It's called Posse Comitatus. That's right, folks. Tonight we're going to grab you by the posse. <laughs> Ain't no bad joke like a dad joke. I'm wearing this off. <laughs> oh, that's kind of dirty for a dad joke. This episode was written by Aaron Sorkin. It was directed by Alex Graves. And it first aired on May 22nd in the year 2002. We don't have so much time tonight, so without further ado, I think we should bring out our guest. Yeah, there's a reason. We're very excited to be at the historic Castro Theater, completely sold out. And of course, we did it on the back of a special, special man. He's an Oscar winner, an Emmy winner, and the reason that we're all here to celebrate the show we love, let's welcome Aaron Sorkin. You know, Aaron, they also stood when we came out. Uh, that was so nice. How you doing, San Francisco? <laughs> Before we get into our thoughts and our notes about this, Aaron, could you set up what this process was like for you making this episode. Can you tell us your memories of Posse Comitatus? Sure, I'll do my best. It was a season finale, and those, you really want a season finale to be special. You want to hit a crescendo at the end of the season. I think Alex did a phenomenal job directing it. 
There was a lot of guest cast in it. I remember a lot of things uh, from this episode, as a matter of fact, and a number of them, in fact, relevant today. But here's one thing I remember that's not that relevant. Um, <laughs> it's how unhappy people were, people in the audience and people involved with the show, that I was killing Mark Harmon. <laughs> uh, Spoiler alert. They, you see that? Holy cow, are there people no, here I'm just who kidding. Have... Okay. <laughs> Everybody uh, here has seen this episode. <laughs> and it wasn't they, that they were unhappy that I was killing Simon Donovan. They were unhappy I was killing Mark Harmon. <laughs> and the, the scene where he gets shot, we shot at a bodega on 96th Street on the west side of Manhattan. And there were two women on the set, a ballistics tech, which you have to have on set anytime you're using a firearm. And the person who sets... If you're doing a scene where I shoot you, the way it works is you insert what are called squibs into the actor's costume. It's actually a very, very tiny little remotely controlled explosive that when the gun goes off, a person pushes a button and And the, the two women, the ballistics tech and the person who set the squibs make it a point of telling me, kind of with hostility in their voice, <laughs> that they have checked with a doctor and they have set these squibs in places where it would be possible for him to survive these gunshots. <laughs> we set the squibs to flesh wound. <laughs> There's one more <laughs> memory that I have. Again, in New York, there is a shot of the president's motorcade coming down 7th Avenue toward Times Square because he's taking them to the Booth Theater at 45th Street and Broadway. So we had to shoot this at around 4 o'clock in the morning. That's when you're able to clear Times Square. And we had maybe two hours. And Alex Graves, the director, had, uh, I think, maybe six or eight camera positions on top of buildings. Uh, because again, you can't get this wrong too many times. You have maybe two or three bites at the apple. And I had, and we had two units working at once since we, we had to cram in a lot of work in New York City while we were there. And I was coming from the bodega on 96th Street in a black hired car. <laughs> We're coming down to the place where I'm, I'm supposed to go, and we see around us all these other black sedans and motorcycle cops and red and blue lights flashing. <laughs> and I went, we are in the shot right now. <laughs> I, we're rolling, is, is what's going on. I'm on the west wing. And, and I kind of get on a radio to Alex, and Alex, can you see me down here? Yes, okay, <laughs> you... <laughs> <laughs> and it was pouring rain. It was, th those are two big memories uh, that I have <laughs> well, of it. When I watched that scene, I think two things. One, CJ can't have nice things. And two, why couldn't the Korean grocer have done one of these? <laughs> okay. I can answer both of those questions. I would like you to. Okay. Part of the heat that I took about killing Simon Donovan wasn't about Mark Harmon's handsomeness, okay? It was that there was a feeling that what I was saying was that a woman can't have it all. She can't have her job and be in love at the same time. I wasn't saying that at all. In fact, Simon Donovan was brought on to the show to be killed. <laughs> Sacrificial land. By the way, Harmon landed on his feet, right? <laughs> yeah, he did all right. He's been just fine, yeah. yeah. Two things. I don't know if, if you've noticed, but somebody dies at the end of all four of the seasons of The West Wing that I wrote. And 
I write random death a lot. You won't see somebody dying in a hospital. It'll happen the way it happened to Mrs. Lanningham, right out of nowhere. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah, sorry about that, too. <laughs> but the wave of just personal offense uh, I know. rippled through the crowd as you <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, I was thinking about this, knowing I was coming up here and we were going to talk about this. I, I was thinking about the random death thing and exactly why do I do that? Because it doesn't really seem like me. And here's what I think the reason is. I write very romantically and idealistically. In this episode, Bartlett, of course, makes an excruciating decision. And this is something I, I, I would like to talk about more. He's trying hard to do the right thing, but he's, he says to Leo in this argument, it's just wrong. Okay, it's just wrong. Leo says, I know, but you got to do it anyway. Bartlett says, why? And Leo says, because you won. And Bartlett makes this decision that he feels terrible about, but he does it. He kills a guy. That's hubris. Hubris in dramatic law, according to Aristotle, has to be punished. Okay, Bartlett couldn't just kill Sharif and have the season end there. He had to pay a price. He had to be punished. Somebody had to die. And that's what Simon Donovan was brought in to do. Interesting. Heavy duty. Well, Richie and I have talked about the fact that the multi-layered approach to death, there are anonymous deaths in this episode. Mm -hmm. You know, there's all this back and forth about Sharif, but there's also that moment in the Oval when Bartlett says, who are those two guys? And he gets a response, mm -hmm. those are my bodyguards. And you know there's a mental calculus because they're going to die they're too. They're going to die too. And on network television, an episode has to be 42 minutes and 30 seconds long. You don't have any elbow room. Maybe you can, Jeff Zucker was the president of the network at the time. Maybe you can beg him for an extra 15 seconds, but that's about it. And it can't be short either, by the way, uh, because if the episode is short, you're devaluing the ad time, mm -hmm. right? Anyway, as a result of that, a couple of things had to be cut probably won't surprise you that much. My scripts are long. Uh, they're always long. I don't know if we ever did an episode of Sports Night, ever did an episode of West Wing where we did the table read and somebody said, hey, you know, we need a couple more scenes right here. I think this is short. <laughs> or yeah, right on the button. They were always long. So here are two things that got, there were several things that were cut, but here are two things that got cut. The teaser. The teaser that you see now, which is a CJ press conference, uh, okay, was the first scene of act one. The real teaser was the shortest teaser we ever did on the show. Bartlett is shaving in the morning. And it was the first time, I'm not a guy who writes scenes in bathrooms. Uh, I just, I'm never crazy about it, but I was okay with this. And I kind of wanted to see what does the president get for a bathroom in that master bedroom? And I said, let's build this set. And they told me that in order to amortize that set, in order for it to be affordable that we build it, I would have to use that set another 20 times. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'll find things to do in there. Anyway. <laughs> I can think of 20 things to do in a bathroom. Maybe, maybe it's just me. The teaser was simply Bartlett shaving in the mirror and he's singing to himself the song that he will later tell Stanley Keyworth, the, the therapist about, and the song that we'll later hear on stage which, by the way, was written by John Oliver's uncle. Wow. The chorus of which is, what's victorious in war shall be made glorious in peace. What's victorious in war shall be made glorious in peace. Um, Musical theater you. major. 
So the teaser, the original teaser is Bartlett shaving in the mirror and singing the song to himself. And he just cuts himself shaving a little bit, picks up a hand towel, does that, puts it down. And the camera just sees his hand towel, which has the seal of the president on it and some blood uh, uh, now on it. And that sets the stage for the whole thing. So that had to go. Was that shot? I have to be honest with you now. I can't remember if we shot it or if we just knew that early. How badly do you want to see that? I'll tell you, yes, the answer is we did shoot it. And here's how I know. Make a phone call. Make a phone call. It it was in the promos for the episode. We don't cut the promos uh, for the episode. NBC does that all by themselves, and they do it off of dailies that we're sending them every day. Because I remember, and there are people who think that they've seen that scene in the episode, and it's because they saw the promo. What if he pressed it and then it said, let Bartlett be Bartlett? (laughs) In In blood. blood. Another scene that was cut, and this was crucial, was Mark Harmon hasn't eaten in about 16 hours. He's starving. He's just missed every chance for a half a sandwich that was there. He had to go someplace else. And he's starving, he's starving, he's starving. And that is why he goes into the bodega to buy the candy bar. Okay, now he just is randomly going into a bodega and, uh, and that thing happens. There's a rule and it's a metaphor. It's, it's also literal. you can say literally, but it, it's a metaphor, which is that if you use a gun in the third act, you have to show it in the first. And if you show a gun in the first act, you have to use it in the third. Forget the literal nature of the gun, exactly. It was Mark Harmon being hungry right. that we announced in the first of four acts and then paid off in the fourth of four acts, but there was no setup for it before. So it did, start to seem like poor storytelling. Hmm. What you were going to say about his big brother. Remember whether his big brother, first of all, it's just like you decide to kill him, so now let's make you really, really (laughs) regret it. He's got a big brother. He's a big... Little brother. He's a big brother. He's a big brother. He's a big brother, and he's got a mother, right? Um, We gave him a mother in that. That is true. So you really made it hurt. But also the little brother says to him jokingly, you know, you're slow-witted. He says... You're not very bright, and the criminal's consensus about you. Hearing that line, that felt like a little bit of foreshadowing as well. And I was wondering if you had had that sense about that character from the beginning, or if you even think that this is true. Is Anthony right? Simon Donovan's not that bright, and so him getting killed is like a consequence of no. For me, Simon Donovan is extremely bright. It wouldn't surprise me if there were Secret Service agent here, a U.S. Marshal, an FBI agent who said, are you out of your mind? There is no way a trained professional would not first look for a a second person in the store. But I will say we I mean, we had Secret Service advisors and and whatnot in the show and it it passed muster with them. Hmm. I thought as far as the owner of the store, the man behind the counter, not going, (laughs) goes again, because we we had to squeeze the episode a little bit. There were a couple of things we didn't have time in the episode to do right. One, we did them well, it could have been better. One was that scene, it should have happened slower, uh, Hmm. okay? We just should have been able to see Simon, see the empty cash register, okay? The guy behind the counter, look, he's scared to yeah, death. Yeah, as played, he, he's terrified. Yeah, he's not in he a position to He just wants to uh, get out of the store, and then these guys will get out of the store because the last thing I want are bullets flying uh, around here because I'm standing here. Mm-hmm. He's terrified. Simon susses out what's going on, the empty register, the terrified guy, and 
I wish I could go back to that bodega and do it all over again. It just should have happened slower with Simon saying quietly, it's okay. Why don't you get down behind the counter now? Mm-hmm. Have him get down behind the counter and then bam. And then the other thing that we rushed, because you mentioned the two bodyguards in the Oval Office, was the shooting of Sharif. It's nobody's fault but the clocks. But what we should have seen is, I don't mind not being inside the plane to see, and this was all uh, what's called MOS, which means, it actually means without sound. Uh, But the reason why it's MOS is that the style, which is to say, you know, there's, there's generally music or something. And the scene with CJ done so beautifully, Incredible. you know, when, when, when she's just heard the news about Simon uh, and we're hearing Jeff Buckley's cover of Hallelujah, that's MOS. And the style was first invented by a German director who called it without sound. So it's called <laughs> MOS. And we're doing the MOS sequence with the plane cutting back and forth between the, the Wars of the Roses and this We should have seen Sharif and the guys get off the plane, which we did. Then we should have seen a mechanic crew get out, you know, in in coveralls. When all we saw were like guns start to come out. Going back, I wouldn't have done the night vision thing. I don't think that gets you anywhere. You have to look really fast to see one of the guys take the pen out of Sharif's pocket. I would have made a bigger deal out of that. Interesting. Do you do this with everything you write? (laughs) Because I actually love that scene. And in a way, I like that it just it was what it was. It, it wasn't a bigger deal. It was just like the gritty reality yeah, maybe, of Maybe you're right. I mean, yes, but do I do that with every, everything I write? I haven't written anything ever. A, a movie, a play, an episode of television, I haven't written anything ever that I wouldn't like to get back and, and just have one more shot at. <laughs> I think that's probably true for every writer because I knew I was coming here. I watched Posse Comitatus about five nights ago. It was the first time I'd seen it since it had been on the air. Wow. And I have to say... I thought it was pretty good. It's, it's uh, pretty good, right? It's pretty good. That makes me so happy to hear you say that because it's pretty f-ing great. Yeah, but it's, it's really thanks to Alex, thanks to uh, uh, the cast. They helped me along in places where I couldn't quite get it right. There's one spot that we had to do a, just a little medical work on, and it's Leo's meeting with the Gang of Eight. It's the leadership from both houses of Congress and both parties. Uh, And it's called the Gang of Eight. And Leo is meeting with them to tell them uh, the president's going to do this thing. It's against the law. Posse Comitatus, by the way, refers to a law that was passed toward the end of Reconstruction, prohibiting the military from getting involved in law enforcement, which is why Fitzwallis can't do what the CIA's got to do. Anyway, as originally shot, Alex did this beautiful overhead shot. And you see in front of each of the people a sort of a packet with the presidential seal on it. It's got information in it, but those packets haven't been opened. And the scene ends where Leo says something, I can't remember what, but certainly the implication is that all these people have already read what's in there, but it's clear that they haven't been opened. However, thankfully, Leo leaves and they all open the thing. So we were able to, in the editing room, when we established that scene, start with the last few frames uh, of it. I'll have them all open the thing and then cut to Leo coming in. Oh, that's interesting. Now, you'll notice that when Leo comes in, if you watch it again, those packets are all closed uh, again. (laughs) One of my favorite things about this finale is how 
you seem to be playing long ball. I feel like you always disavow that and say, I don't, I don't think of anything until right before I'm writing it, but there's all sorts of strands that pay off beautifully. One of them to me that I'm most fascinated by is Leo's preparing Bartlett to get into the headspace he knows he needs to be in. And back, all the way back to uh, the Black Vera Wang, he says to him, I want to get you into a mental place where you can order an unidentified plane shot down. And then I think we have a sound clip from this episode. I was going to say, I don't want him putting a voice to the guy. I take my daughter to a seafood place. The first thing she does is name all the lobsters in the tank so I can't eat them. Right. And then later at the theater, Leo mentions that again and says, would it be helpful if I gave you the names of the 2,200 people who... That's not the first time Leo has played that role right. uh, uh, with Bartlett. Way back to Proportional Response, right. the third episode of the, uh, of the show in the first season. Fitz Wallace uh, says, because this is a guy, his entire military experience is being commander in chief of the New Hampshire National Guard. Uh, and it's uh, when we join the pilot episode of The West Wing, when we, when we first meet these people, it's they've been in office for one year in their first term. And Bartlett has so far not had to engage militarily anywhere. And it isn't until that episode that he has to kill people for the first time. So it's Fitz Wallace who says to Leo, you're going to have to sit him down. Uh, this isn't the last one of these he's going to have to do. And it's generally Leo's job to uh, get him someplace where he can do that. You talked about the headspace. Bartlett ultimately says yes. And the reason why Leo's final argument is because you won. Bartlett personally believes this is wrong. But he also recognizes that this is not a moment where personally matters. You have to be the office of the president and you have to do this. And it's a, uh, I don't want to get us to a whole other place, but it's a scheme of logic that I wish were applied to the abortion debate. Can, can we get back to the hubris of, of President Bartlett? Yeah. You know, the killing of Sharif is happening intercut with War of the Roses. Mm -hmm. There's a line in War of the Roses King Henry V, too famous to live long. Yes. And we hear it, you know, and, and there's the sense of mortality. Josh mentioned, you know, there are these incidental deaths of the bodyguards and stuff. And the president has this role that's, the office is larger than any one life. And there's this discussion of Sharif, you know, doesn't count as a civilian. But then you contrast that with Simon Donovan, you know, the horror of his murder really gets its own moment. I was just wondering if you talk a little bit about what that headspace is like for the president when he's like, why bring the, the foreground of, of one man, you know, one agent getting killed when you're also talking about it at this sort of level of statesmanship too? That's a fantastic question. But if Bartlett, I gave it to him. <laughs> if Bartlett is going to have to pay a price for what he does, and he does have to pay a price, I'm telling you the rules of drama forbid him getting away with this for free, mm -hmm. then we have to feel it. We don't feel any empathy at all for Sharif. And even Bartlett, as much as he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to break the law. He doesn't want to, you're not allowed to just assassinate people. This is new territory. He refuses to shake Sharif's hand in the Oval Office. Uh, he makes up an excuse. He despises Sharif. Doesn't matter. He's a human being. And other people frequently pay for Bartlett wielding the power that was thrust upon him constitutionally. Mrs. Lanningham, Josh. Right. That's why Bartlett at the end of season, I'm sorry to get off Pasa Comitas, but the end no. of season two and two cathedrals has had it with God. 
Stop it. I'm doing the best I can. Stop knocking these people off. You're not somebody to do it to me. Right. Sorry, I got a little upset. Well, there's this other part to the death of this episode, all the death in it. When Simon Donovan dies, as you you said, we hear hear a little bit of uh, Jeff Buckley's cover of Hallelujah. And I was wondering if you could talk about the choice of that song, because the song is already so haunting and so beautiful, but this is an instance where the work takes on a different meaning yeah, because of context with Jeff Buckley having died a very young, tragic death himself. I have no sophistication when it comes to music, and I'm always the last to things. I'll see something, I, I have a teenage daughter, and I'll say, you, you've got to check this woman out. She's phenomenal. You know, my daughter will say, Dad, that's Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen her before. <laughs> All of us. <laughs> okay, well, everybody's right. She's great. <laughs> and I had never heard the Leonard Cohen song. I'd never heard Hallelujah until one day after 9-11, September 12th, 2001. I turned the radio on in the car, and that's what this station was playing. And I, I, it, it, it was haunting for that reason, and it stuck with me. And, and of course, I thought I was the only person who'd ever heard the <laughs> song and that this was gonna be a discovery for everybody. But I think even knowing what I know now, which is that it's a very famous song, I would have used it anyway, just because the combination of the song and Allison, and when you think about it, there really aren't many, if any, other than this, moments on the West Wing where I take my hands off the keyboard and right. just have an actor give them the ball and say it's yours now i was uh, going to say the episode. allison's work as always is exquisite in this episode and you really do sort of hand her the keys yeah and yeah. i don't know if you can do that with every actor <laughs> not every actor i think you can do it with every actor who was on the west wing including you sir okay but ha- i'm not sure <laughs> that every actor on the west wing i would have do the jackal as uh, <laughs> as a Fair teaser enough. that that may be just Can allison we, let, but let's let's have a real round of applause for allison janney come allison on allison janney i mean just like no but but really let's have a round of applause for allison janney Right? It's crazy. Oh my god. Uh, It's gonna be an extra 10 bucks on the way out. You're welcome. I I have to say that was one of the most thrilling entrances I've ever made in my life. (laughs) I really. I was just thinking, is she still here? (laughs) (laughs) I hope she stays. I was listening to everywhere. And I just have to tell you, I got here today. I haven't been here in a long time. I walked down from my hotel and a street musician was playing Hallelujah, first of all. And then the next thing I saw was a street vendor selling alpaca stuffed animals. (laughs) I'm not kidding you. And that, in that episode, of course, is yeah, Lily Tomlin's Lily first Tom. episode. And, she's and then a, I just know? saw Brad Whitford on the street. The <laughs> he was also selling alpacas. <laughs> That's better. That's funnier. <laughs> Rewrite, edit. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. 
you. This is... Some of our guests have a hard out at 9.30. <laughs> we have the same, same question for you. Okay. Um, Allison, what do you remember about making this episode? Well, I watched it myself a couple days ago, and um, I remember... It took me a while to remember that we shot the interior of the theater in L.A. Huh. And do you remember me, that? No, you weren't... I was not. You weren't there. <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh, it, the show was still on its upswing. We... It was... Uh, no, no. It, it was a theater downtown, yeah. which, like the Castro, had been very important on the vaudeville circuit. We haven't released the episode yet, but we've spoken to Mark Harmon, and he had very lovely things to oh, say about working Mark. with you. I Mark, hear, though, that he's difficult. He's incredibly difficult. <laughs> Just kidding. He, you, know, you know, I always considered myself a very professional actress and very easy to work. He makes me look like a slob, you know, a raised by wolves, whatever. He is, he, I mean, he's the kind of guy that I would make someone go get me a water if I was on set and say, hey, Melina, go get me a water. I'm thirsty. You know, he, he goes Why'd to you always get, ask me? <laughs> But if you're, but he, he goes to get his own water. He never lets makes anyone get anything for him. He does his own. He's the most professional man I've ever worked with in my life. You guys are very good together too. There's I real did, chemistry right. there. And it was so hard that kiss. You know, I was so afraid Alex Graves that we had to kiss outside the. It was the booth, right? Yeah. We were and and in that alleyway outside the booth, and the camera was so close, and I was like, I was so afraid of the. Like, just back up a little bit. I felt so uh, intimidated by having to kiss him with the camera. Everyone wa that close, and it looks. And I'm watching it now with older eyes. I'm much kinder to myself and my my profile and it's everything. A great it was it was kiss. a good kiss. It's He's a good kisser too. He was, and he was a very good kisser. And he was very sad that he was trying to think of any way he could convince Aaron that he would not have to die. <laughs> so, you had to kill him. You had to. You had to. Uh, but yes, thank you. I had. You to had to kill him. Better him than me, I'm telling you. <laughs> but yeah, he, he was, uh, we had a couple of um, rides in the past van where he was quite, we had to really try to cheer him up a bit because it was, uh, he did not want to leave. Who would have wanted to? It was the best group of people. And Aaron, no, no, this is no, all good. I, it's, I agree. It's a huge compliment to you, honey. He was, he wanted to, I mean. You know, he walked out the door into 15 years of NCI. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's, he's doing, doing okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. He's doing okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I heard he's got like a wood shop and everything. He makes stuff. He makes oh, crafts. He's ridiculous. He's, he's the fine. perfect man. Yeah. Aaron, can you tell us about the casting of Mark Harmon? Especially as someone, you knew he was going to be killed, but you knew you were casting him opposite yes. Allison. Here's what I can guarantee you. He certainly did not have to audition, but he did have to trust me a little bit because, you know, we, I, I didn't write ahead. Uh, I couldn't show him the four scripts that he was gonna do. All I could show him was his first episode in which he comes in at the very end. He's got a page and a half at the end when CJ uh, meets him for the first time and uh, he tells him, you know, you, uh, you're being haunted, Miss Craig. So what do you do in that situation? You say, don't worry, the rest, it's, it's gonna be Sorkin level. <laughs> Trust well, me. I, I absolutely do not say that. <laughs> uh, I, that that's what I would say. <laughs> I say, here's my plan. I probably didn't have that much planned, except I was able to tell him he was going to die uh, in the season. But you didn't have, he didn't have to audition, but was there any kind of consideration of like, the way I know there are sometimes chemistry reads. 
Was there anything that everyone you... has chemistry with Alex? Yes. Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> I like to meet the person Josh where it doesn't up 100%, work. Right? There is no one who's not going to have chemistry with Allison, uh, and I, I have no worry about Mark Harmon not having chemistry and, uh, uh, with Allison. And if there is a silver lining to you know writing by the seat of your pants, to not being able to get ahead, and there isn't a silver lining. <laughs> But if there were, it would be that you can, if for some reason there wasn't chemistry, which is really hard to believe that that, that would happen, or if Allison came to me and said, this is truly a horrible person, uh, or something like that. He keeps making me get him water. <laughs> I can make a last minute, you know, I could do something else. But that, that wasn't gonna be an issue with, uh, with Mark. He, he was delighted, and believe me, I was among those who would have loved to have kept him around, but not only did I need to, to kill him for the sake of drama, but what else is he gonna do? How many people is he? <laughs> but you know, he could just be, he could be a recurring character every now and then we see oh, CJ go break, home. Richie. Uh, <laughs> I just, upset. you know, it was sad, but I thought it was important. There was something about his death and CJ take, feeling a little responsible for his death and feeling like you can't, there wasn't saying that you can't have it all, but Leo says something in an episode, I don't know which episode it was, where he tells his wife, you know, she says, we have to be the most important thing. He says, not now. Mm -hmm. right. This, I work at the White House, this is the most important we also, thing. We, we like, see Amy and Josh. We see Amy and Josh prioritize what they prioritize. Absolutely, in, in the same episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, right. In fact, we cut right from Allison. We were all just talking about how for maybe the only time in the four years that I was writing the show, I stopped talking and just gave the show to uh, one of the oh. actors. Um, <laughs> and it was is you. that a, as much pressure as it sounds like? <laughs> uh, and it's the season finale. Yeah. Season finale, yeah. That was uh, that was unbelievably hard to do that and, and sure. act in front of in Times Square. That was very challenging. You killed it. I, yeah, I mean. you did. And it's even more challenging than you might think because the sequence begins with we simply see Ron Butterfield, the head of the Secret Service detail, telling CJ that this has happened. And it begins with words. He does it the way a Secret Service agent would do it without sugarcoating it. Simon Donovan is dead. He was shot and killed. And CJ doesn't believe it. I was just talking to him. What? No, he just, you're wrong. He went uptown to do some paperwork. And then we just move back and stop the dialogue. And CJ has to break down without the help of any words at all. In fact, I have no idea what they were. I needed their mouths to be moving. But I had no idea what they were saying to each other. So Allison had to kind of go from zero to 100 by herself and then again out in Times Square, which would have been many hours later that we set up for that and just had to do it on action. There wasn't anything to help her there. There was a guy that bumped into me. I don't know. I mean, I could That's say, one oh, of my favorite oh, yeah. parts of the whole oh, episode is Rishi. that moment where you get bumped yeah. by that guy. It feels, I'm already feeling so bad for CJ in that moment. I'm like, and now this guy has to- You know how that- how, Shoulder check or two? It really did. It, it actually, I got kind of, I mean, he hit me and I was, I think maybe, and I love Alex Graves for this, the director who, I think he told him to uh. hit me. And, and it really just, 
it knocked it out of me and I started so crying. You I was upset. He did I wasn't expecting it. Uh, we do love did. that. Yeah, I told Alex to tell him to hit you. <laughs> So I had that I, at summer camp once. I was really homesick and we were playing dodgeball and I got hit in the head and I just started crying and I was like, this isn't about dodgeball. I miss my parents. That was also Aaron told them to do that too. Yeah, I, I, look, he's had a lot of influence in my life. So, but you have to stay composed. You have to stay in that moment. And it was when I knew there were all these look, you know, people in Times Square were standing across the street all watching me. I was performing. I was on Broadway. I was literally on Broadway. <laughs> More than I've ever been on Broadway before. Just, it, was, it, was, it was really challenging. I mean, I know you have Old to do... Old and late. You, and you often do many takes on the show. Is that a scene that you have to have Those to are the ones I want to get right away. And, and once I nail it, then they don't have to, you know. And it was late and cold and rainy. I was like, please, I'm getting this. And then that guy hit me and I was like, oh, thank God. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I just felt like this nice. wave of emotion. The best of the many takes that we would do on a show would be if there were an eight-page continuous teaser with no cuts in it at all that would say, start out in CJ's office and, you know, wind its way through, through the whole West Wing, sort of collecting people along the way and handing people off. If it's eight pages, you just don't want to have any lines on page eight because you don't want to be the person who screws it up <laughs> uh, on page eight. And we would always root for Allison to screw it up on page eight. Because, <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, because, you know... We're three rooms away with, with headphones on, and it, you would just have the best reactions to, <laughs> to that moment when you just tripped over a word or something. You would blast off through the room. <laughs> and then you would say, Aaron, is there any chance the word is actually pronounced that way? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yes, Allison, send it. Send it. (laughs) And now we're going to take a quick break. The West Wing Weekly is sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace will help you build the site for whatever your idea is. If you've ever had a cool idea for a new website, you can do it with Squarespace. You can showcase your artwork. You can blog. You can publish any content you can come up with. You can sell products and services of all types. We use Squarespace for our own website, thewestwingweekly.com, which by now I'm guessing you've probably seen. If not, you should check it out, thewestwingweekly.com. It's an example of a Squarespace site that was easy to put together and is easy to maintain. Every time we come up with a new idea for the site, it's quickly accomplished. It's true. In fact, I use Squarespace for my own website outside of the West Wing Weekly. It's rishikesh.co. It's my own personal page, and I use Squarespace for that. So check out Squarespace. They help you make it, whatever it is you're trying to make. Go to squarespace.com slash West Wing for a free trial. And then when you're ready to launch, use the offer code West Wing, and you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Go to squarespace.com slash West Wing. And now back to the show. One of the things that makes the death so devastating, and part of the reason why I was asking about Anthony's line, you know, you're not very bright, is because CJ just has her way with uh, Simon. She's just running circles around him. I was thinking about this moment in the episode. Can I say something? Sure. I'm not allowed to date a protectee. 
Who's trying to date you? I'm not allowed to kiss a protectee. Who's trying to kiss you? You did. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Just straight up denial, and he can't even, he has no idea what's going on. Well, I'll let you answer that. I will defend Simon, who, yes, CJ, you know, can own Simon a lot, except when Simon is protecting CJ. Then he's happy to remove the engine from her car, take, uh, take out everything. You left her with wiper fluid. Right. Uh, uh, you know. <laughs> uh, in other words, he's, he's not going to be stopped from protecting her. And she'll win every other fight. <laughs> I, I don't remember if I did. I mean, it, was that in a pre- it wasn't in that episode. It was in a previous one. It was that in I, a previous episode. I don't remember. I probably did, though. CJ did try to kiss him, right? Yeah, yes. And he got distracted when you were trying on the Black Vera Wang. He oh, got distracted right. for a few moments and by your... By my uh, incredible physical calves. beauty. <laughs> Uh, and it turned out the guy was in the store. My favorite Simon line from this scene, though, is 13. I want to hear it, and then I'll ask you what in God's name it means. You're like the girl in Driver's Ed who won't watch the prom night movie because it's gross and so ends up missing an important lesson about drinking and driving. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And no matter how many times I listen to it, I can't quite parse it, but it's my favorite line of the whole episode. He's just telling her that she's not taking this seriously enough that there's a guy who's actually trying to kill him. I love that line. Um, <laughs> we also we wanted to talk about your relationship with Melissa Fitz, who plays Carol. Oh my God, my great, and, great Melissa Fitzgerald. I love the way you just say. Let me just, I love my favorite thing to do is just to, Carol! Let's unpack CJ and Carol, shall we? <laughs> um, it's not this episode, but there is a scene where the flirtation between Simon and CJ is heating up, and you completely read her. You know exactly why she mentioned having older brothers <laughs> and taking her niece for uh, shopping for a junior prom. The closeness you have in real life bled into Aaron's writing in your relationship on screen, I think. Uh, is that true? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. But it's funny, because now I'm trying to remember who played CJ's niece. Evan Rachel Wood. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, I knew it was something. And we were, when we discussed the episode, she's got star quality in that scene. Yeah, she does. I, I actually like the moment in the Black Vera Wang when he is showing her, like, how to observe uh, the room. Turn to your left, turn to your right, straight ahead, in back of you, what did you see? Uh, and like she sees something here, can't remember there. There's a, someone in a coat. Okay, it's April. Why is there somebody in a coat? I don't know either, but until he leaves the store, I'll always know where he is. Now I get to ask my question now. We know that CJ's stalker sees her in the black Vera Wang. Is it the guy in the coat? <laughs> this is what I've always wondered. Was that a good the question? Guy? I don't know. <laughs> I was afraid you were going to say that. <laughs> Okay, I wanted to ask about a line that you wrote that doesn't get spoken in the episode. Towards the end of your script, there's a line that you, you wrote, there are people who have killed people and people who haven't, and Bartlett will never be in the second group again. It's a beautiful line. Does it ever kill you that you're like, ah, I'm writing this, no one's ever going to hear it? First of all, thank you. No, it doesn't kill me. It's, I hardly ever do that. I think the actors will tell you that 
my stage directions and descriptions are pretty spare. If you have to pull out a gun at this moment, you know, you, you have to pull out a gun at this moment. I really want them to feel free to bring to it what they're going to bring to it. It was a silent moment for Martin, and I wanted him to internalize that. And, you know, in these really weird times, I've been asked, I'm sure you guys get asked, because Donald Trump is in the White House, wouldn't you like to have the West Spring on again? Or what, what, you know, what would you write now? Yeah. Um, and, well, that, uh, thank you. I really do appreciate that. I'm available starting March 10th. What? <laughs> March 10th. And the answer is, I would put any West Wing episode on the air just to show what it looks like. A normal press conference where reporters ask reasonable questions and, and get answers. But even more, but even more, a Bartlett quotes to Adam Arkin. Is Thomas Merton the name of the monk uh, who's a really good writer? Yes. And I'm paraphrasing here. I'm not going to get it exactly right. But Martin quotes it to Sidney. He says that Thomas Merton wrote, I don't always know what the right thing is to do, Lord, but I think the fact that I want to please you pleases you. In other words, trying really hard to do the right thing is the right thing. And I don't know if Bartlett did the right thing or the wrong thing at the end by ordering the assassination of Sharif. But clearly, everyone involved in this, from Bartlett to Leo to Fitz Wallace, tried to do the right thing, thought it through from every angle. And I think that that's what we're craving in, in the real White House, that we don't feel like people are, um, uh, you know, what, that, that, that the goal is particularly honorable here, or that, that they're arriving at decisions in ways that, that are worthy of, uh, of where they work. Well, in so that moment when the president says, take him, and this line that we're talking about, compositionally, there's this really interesting thing that happens. Um, it's a beautiful shot where Martin Sheen is facing one way and John Spencer is behind him, and they almost seem like one figure, and the president's, he's shrouded in shadow, and it looked like Janice, the two-faced I know what you're talking about. The very last moment, and the cast on stage is singing, Yes. What's victorious and war shall be made glorious and peace. Right. Musical um, theater major. And <laughs> I have to tell you, and I feel bad about it to this day. I, the way it works is the editor does a cut, and the director, in this case Alex Graves, comes in and does a cut, and then it's given to me and I start to work on it. And so when Alex gave me his cut, I was actually furious about the last two minutes of the episode. I have no idea why, I, I, <laughs> I really don't. And I took it out on the editor and obviously word got to Alex who called me and he was so remorseful that he, you know, I, I don't know what I did wrong. And I felt terrible, but I looked at it again and I went, what did he do wrong? This it's great. Um, what I don't know what my problem was there, except that he did something with that curtain that you're talking about, and this never matters to me. But it's it's not how I saw it when I wrote it. I saw it in a slightly different way, where we would move in tight on Bartlett's face, and again, it matters less now that you don't do the teaser that was originally written with him shaving and singing that song. Huh. But I huh. had just seen a push in on Bartlett's face. And Alex did it as a silhouette behind the silk, which was beautiful. And I just hope that in the 15 years or so that's uh, uh, gone by, that I have sufficiently apologized to Alex for, <laughs> this uh, do for doing that. Um, 
I hope so. I think he may have been nominated for an Emmy for the episode, too, and that he would was. have done it as well. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're right. There was, I'm just going to get real pretentious here for a second, if everybody will forgive me. But like, oh, I, now? <laughs> for the first time ever. But I was, it really did remind me of Janice, and I was looking at, you know, and I looked it up, what are the two faces of Janice, what does that mean? And it, it's supposed to signify the beginning and end of conflict. And so I thought it was this brilliant thing where you're tying in the uh, victorious in war shall be made glorious in peace, and all that, so... <laughs> It was very impressive. Boy, I mean, we were doing a lot in that episode, but we should have done that. <laughs> Aaron, is that, is that song from Nicholas Nickleby? Yes. And uh, like I said, John Oliver's uncle wrote it. It's from the original production of, uh, of Nicholas Nickleby, the one... Which that I ro- saw. That I saw, too, starring... Roger Rees. Starring Roger Rees, Lord, Lord John Marbury. May he rest um, in peace. And... There's a, yes, there's a play within a play in that, too. And it's the end of Act 17 or something. Nicholas Nickleby was, was long. Yeah. And I loved it. I had always remembered it. I really don't know what order things came in, whether so, sometimes, you know, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, sometimes you just start with a song and you want to write an episode that can support that song, where it makes sense for that song to go. Sometimes you start with a joke, you know, like I've, I've got this great joke for Will Bailey and, and CJ. Um, it's four lines. I can't have an episode that's four lines long, so, and I really want to do this joke, so I've got to write the rest of, uh, of the episode so it can contain this joke. But uh, I knew I wanted to do this number because of that line, what's victorious in war shall be made glorious in peace. And, uh, you know, that's kind of Bartlett's only justification for doing what he does. Remember, we're talking about a very devout man. And even if you weren't, uh, you know, you don't have to be devout to have morality. And he was really conflicted. But the only thing he can hang on to is there's a greater good out there somewhere. Maybe this is how we get peace on earth by my blowing this guy's brains out. (laughs) Allison and Melissa, Aaron said that he had not seen the episode since it maybe originally aired. When was the last time, before watching it, you know, for our discussion, when was the last time you saw Posse Comitatus? I think the last time I saw it, aside from last night at Allison's, was, um, was uh, when, it, when it aired. So what uh, was it like last night when you guys were watching it? What, what, what was your reaction? And I mean, you, do you guys talk during the episode? Or are you like, shh, I'm watching? No, we don't. I don't like to talk while I watch TV. <laughs> Yes, yes. Especially <laughs> when it's Aaron Sorkin. Oh, well, I appreciate like, that. But yeah, you shouldn't talk when you're no. watching TV or a movie. No, but... <laughs> you shouldn't watch it on your phone. It's yeah. like a little PSA recording. No, we did have a little... Actually, I'm not. I'm kind of lying. We did pause and we'd go, I'd go, do you remember that? Do you remember... Like, we had... It was fun to actually watch it because I really don't think I'd watched it since and may not have watched it in its entirety when it first aired because after a while... We ate, breathed, and slept West Wing, and we'd get home, and it wasn't my priority to watch. I loved doing it and and wasn't a fan of watching myself. Now, watching, I'm like, oh, my God. I looked great. I was fender. What was I worried about? I I hated the way I looked back. And I was like, and now I'm like, oh, I looked great. I was so great looking. I, <laughs> you, it was lovely. You, yeah, I, I agree, but you both have, have been Thank frozen you. in time. Like Amber. But I have, I have a question for, the, for, the, uh, for okay. Melissa and, and okay. Allison. Press briefing scenes uh, in the press room, which you'd both oh. be in. 
I was writing the show also while we were making it. So basically my routine would be, I would come to rehearsal. Uh, it's the actors and we sit around, just read through the scene. If anybody has any questions, I might, I might tweak something, but usually that didn't happen. And then I would be called back to the set for camera rehearsal, which is the first shot you get is the master. It's the widest possible shot of the scene. Once you cut it together, you're not gonna be in the master a lot. You're mostly gonna be in singles and doubles. We'll be in a couple of different sizes on Allison. We'll get coverage of, of Melissa. We'll hit the people who are, you know, Tim Busfield is out there. Uh, we'll hit the people who are asking questions and that kind of thing. I don't need to watch all that being done. I should really be back in my office uh, napping on the couch. <laughs> So I just watch the master being done. And the rest of, you know, the morning or the night is everything else that's in that scene. And my question is, what was it like in there <laughs> during those, <laughs> <That's cute. laughs> during like the sort of all night in that press briefing room set? I tried to make those as, as painless as possible. And usually that was determined by how well I knew my lines. Mm -hmm. And that was... I think what made me so good at learning my lines, knowing how much more difficult it would be for me, if, because the script supervisor, if I missed one little thing, they would come up and that would slowly start to, my performance would start to devolve into insecurity. And so I'd have to know it cold. And when I knew it cold, it was so great to be able to be that, say, CJ's and words. I know that and lots of times I gave you long lists of uh, names yeah. and dates and You gave and me, and most of it, I had no idea what I was talking about. And <laughs> I just, I mean, it was so much fun to get one of those briefings down and know it cold and, and whatever angle they were. And I wanted to get us in and out of there because it was challenging to do those. It, um, it was. And by the way, the... I'm not sure if everybody knows the evolution of the Jackal, but we would always shoot late on Friday nights. The day would get later as- Fratterday, you... that's what we call we, it, we, Fratterday. Yeah. <laughs> My um, people call it Shabbos. <laughs> <laughs> you have to give the cast and crew a 12-hour turnaround. You can't bring them back fewer than 12 hours from when you release them. So as you get further in the week and, and you, know, you go an hour late on Monday, uh, you're starting an hour late on Tuesday, still going an hour. So by the time you get to Friday, you're not starting until two in the afternoon and, and you're wrapping when the sun comes up on Saturday. Allison's trailer on Friday nights- The Flamingo, the pink became Flamingo. Became the Flamingo trailer. Lounge. <laughs> because it was her Secret Service code name and she had a Flamingo on, on top of her trailer. And you'd go in there for a drink. It was like the swamp on MASH. Um, <laughs> And I, because you know I, it's okay to drink when you're working. <laughs> and I'd only heard tell of this place, like Brigadoon. I'd never seen it. <laughs> Musical theater major. Uh, and it was a Friday going into Saturday around midnight. You know, whatever I'm working on was due yesterday and I haven't started it or something. And, and so I was panicked. Anyway, I stopped into Club Flamingo and. I, I couldn't believe my eyes. Allison was doing the jackal and sitting on the side with like a stub of a cigar in his mouth and a drink and sunglasses is Schiff. <laughs> true. Oh my God. like this. And I'm watching Allison and I, I can't believe my eyes. And I said, 
All right, this is the teaser for, <laughs> for next week. <laughs> you're, you're just going to do this, and Richard, you're going to do that, and I'll, I'll come up with a reason for why <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> but at, at that point, I think people started to worry that it was every man for himself. You're just going to have to start sort of improv your own things to have a scene on the show, because I'm out of ideas. <laughs> um, I want to just get back to this episode. For, sorry. 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 <laughs> Because we're, we don't have a lot of time, but there's something ironic to me about the fact that you, who are so well-known for the incredible articulate nature for your characters, that one of the lines that's become most famous from the show is from this episode, partly because of who's in the White House right now, but it's an example of someone being incredibly inarticulate. Crime. Boy, I don't know. Yeah. Hey, what, what I wouldn't give to have Rob Ritchie in the White House right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was not a mind at work. And uh, <laughs> Bartlett, in the scene that he has with him, you know, begs him, says, you know, we can have a really good debate about these issues. You can insist on being better informed. Tells him that when he ran the first time, you know, two hours a day, it was Bartlett College. Uh, and, and he didn't know anything and he had to get taught this stuff. And, and Richie is insulted by it. But, you know, Martin's cowboy moment in the scene is... In the future, if you're wondering, crime, boy, I don't know, is when I decided to kick your ass. <laughs> How did you come to cast James Rowland for that role? Damn, again, I guarantee you he didn't have to read. <laughs> and my guess is that our Emmy Award winning casting director came to me with a few names, and I said, Perfect. Can I just do a sidebar here? Because I, I wanted to ask you, because I'd heard that Lily Tomlin, the reason she was cast was because she wrote you a letter saying what a fan she was of the show and she wanted to be on it. Is that true? It's that easy. <laughs> Did she really, that? That's what I heard. I don't know. I just wondered if that was really true. That's what I heard, that she had asked. She wrote you a yes. letter. Yes, uh, that is true. And Mary Louise Parker got on the show by leaving a message on the answering machine in the production office, forgive my language, but she said, uh, this is Mary Louise Parker, I think Josh Lyman needs to get laid and I'm the one to do it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. Sadly, we are rapidly getting to the point where you have to be whisked away to an airport. I'm so, afraid so just because I have to make a plane, it, but I'm, I've been having the time. So first, quickly, I want to just quickly promote You've got a movie coming out that you wrote, the first movie you directed. None of us is in it. Unacceptable, but... <laughs> we still want to say Molly's Game is coming out. Hey, thanks very much. I actually, I didn't come here to plug no, Molly's I Game. I came here to do this. You don't but, need our help. <laughs> um, uh, it opens uh, November 22nd, the day before Thanksgiving. Uh, but uh, the world premiere is next week at Toronto Film Festival, if anybody happens to be in Toronto. The trailer is out and looks awesome. I still watch it thinking, i got to be in this somewhere. Uh, <laughs> back, no, no, I'm actually not in it. Um, <laughs> and then I have one last piece of audio I'm going to play. It's a weird, I'm glad we mentioned Lily. It's a quick, weird little throwaway line from Lily. When she's stoned and leaving the botch. This is the scene that most spoke to me, actually, because I once played Celebrity Jeopardy, and I took two Ativan beforehand, and it did not work out well. Um, so I, I empathize with her. And she says this on her way out. Whatever happened to the Swingle Singers? I don't know. Whatever happened to the Swingle Singers? Whatever happened to the Swingle Singers? First of all, 
The scene, I'm just remembering this now. The teaser had to be cut. Simon Donovan being really hungry had to be cut. And the scene that Lily Tomlin has with Bartlett in the season four opener used to be in Posse Comitatus, okay? Oh, interesting. Why, I mean, this, what was I thinking? I mean, this thing was going to be clearly an hour and a half long. There was no <laughs> way uh, uh, that it was going to be 42 minutes. But I, I had to cut that. So Lily's entrance into the show is kind of truncated. And I really liked her as she has the exact same moral center as every other character on the West Wing, which is to say she, I mean, we, we find this out at the beginning of next season, but the reason why she got fired from the White House and the fact that she will not rat out her boss, who's not that great a guy, is what finally impresses Bartlett that, and she was able to make him laugh. She was able to remember uh, what the Dow was doing, uh, right? But other than that, she was kind of a goofy, she had just become what I imagined happens if you take a woman who has, she, she didn't just work at the White House. We delay lists a whole bunch of things that she did. She was executive assistant to the head of the International Olympic Committee and all these things and just make her unemployed for several years, but she's not giving up. She's gonna do this alpaca farming thing. <laughs> And, and just the line, whatever happened to the Sprinkle Sears, I don't know. It was just one of those things that I knew that Lily could do. It doesn't have... I want to let you know, though, they're now known just as the Swingles. They've been around for 55 years. Their latest album came out in February. I can't say that month. February. <laughs> it's called Folklore. It's available everywhere you can find albums. They have a holiday tour coming to the southwestern United States coming up. You can check out their tour at theswingles.co.uk slash shows. And I reached out to them, and they had a little message for you, Aaron. No. Hello. Hey. We are what happened to the Swingle Singers. Yes. And we're coming to you live from the south terminal of Gatwick Airport, where we're off uh, on tour. And we just wanted to say hello and a big thank you for making us a tiny tangential part of the greatest <laughs> TV show ever made. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Got to thank you guys so much. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for doing this. Thank you very much. Thank you all very, very much. This was a blast. Thank you. Before we wrap up, you know, you guys know how the show ends. Before we get to that, we're just going to say the West Wing Weekly is part of Radiotopia. Woo! We've got a bunch of Radiotopia folks here. Julie Shapiro, the executive director. Carrie Hoffman, the CEO. Roman Mars them. from 99% Invisible. Helen Zaltzman from The Illusionist. Please uh, stand up if you guys want. Um, the Knight we're made Foundation. possible because of the Knight Foundation and people like you. Thank, Thank you for you making for that happen. Support. If you want to talk to us about this episode, you know where to find us. We're on thewesternweekly.com. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Allison, 
Melissa, you guys are both on uh, Twitter. People can find you. And we're also, in honor of our guests tonight, in honor of all of you guys coming here, we're making a donation to Justice for Vets. <laughs> Melissa, will you tell us a little bit about Justice for Vets? Well, first of all, I just want to thank you guys for all the incredible support that you've given Justice for Vets and that work that we do on behalf of veterans who return home, who are struggling on the home front, get in trouble with the law. We fight for them to get treatment instead of incarceration when they're struggling with substance use disorders and mental health conditions. And honestly, I have been traveling around the country to veterans treatment courts for four, almost four years now, I can't believe it. And without the support of this West Wing family, I don't know that we could have done what we have done. And I certainly wouldn't have wanted to without all of your support, truly. And, and that includes the West Wing Weekly family. Thank you guys for all the support you've given us too. And um, yeah, the website is justiceforvets.org. Justiceforvets.org. It's pretty straightforward. And we, we also have a, uh, a Twitter handle, which is at Justice for Vets. Um, but I am really proud to say and happy to say that today, right now, there are 15,000 veterans who would otherwise be incarcerated who are receiving life-saving treatment in veterans treatment courts across the country. And we can do even more. So thank you so much for everything. And thank you. Okay. Okay. Love you guys. Radiotopia. Big thanks to Adzerk for providing their ad-serving platform to Radiotopia.